yeah, so you, uh, my name's Josh. Uh, I'm also known as an annoying question boy. I do a podcast, a blog. Uh, I started doing a YouTube channel. I don't know how far that's going to go. That takes <laughs> it takes yeah. a lot. Takes a lot of time, uh, but I talk about mostly politics. So I mean, some people aren't into that. I'm still going to talk about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I recently started smoking again, so my shows are a bit more funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, smoking during podcasts is definitely something we uh, condone on this show. It's all it's all about getting a little bit lit and getting the ideas elevated. <laughs> oh. Oh yes, that's the that's the best way to do it. Yeah. So uh, actually, I uh, came across your show because I saw you were doing a, a bonus episode on Trump and his platform, actually, uh, along with a couple episodes on the uh, vice presidency pick for Kamala. And I was pretty interested by your opinions. Like, yeah, so, I have a lot of them. <laughs> hey, we all do. <laughs> Yeah. But um, I don't know. So just like from the beginning, I don't know. What what would you say your uh, perspective is on this election compared to other elections we've had in the past? Well, so I am someone who sadly, I mean, probably not sadly, I, I should say. I, I came from a pretty privileged background. I mean, I grew up in upstate New York to a, a, a white, quote unquote, quote, middle class family. So it wasn't really until 2016 that I started to get involved in politics whatsoever. You know, on Facebook, you started seeing like Bernie Sanders videos and like memes right. about how shitty Trump was and everything like that. So um, that's kind of where I got my start politically. And then along the or I should say down the road, um, I, uh, ended up meeting this kid, uh, Troy Peters, who started to get me into more, like, he tried to get me into theory, but I have, like, a really short attention span, so I've only read a few books of theory, but, like, okay. he started getting me involved in, like, you know, current events and giving me, like, articles to read and shit like that, so started getting into that, and then, uh, from there, it's only been this election that I've been hyper focused on before like learning everything that's going on so to me this is the worst election ever but <laughs> there could be much worse elections i i couldn't tell you i do know that in 2008 i uh sat around the uh um dinner table with my parents and they we were watching like the election and uh they were going on and on about what a great guy john mccain was so I spent the next day, like, reading about John McCain, and I was like, this guy's all right. But it, <laughs> it, it, was, it, it, was, it was a very different person. Meeting my girlfriend and becoming close with my sister is really what got me into, uh, I don't know, like, the real world. Because um, right. I was a white Christian baby boy for a long time. So No, that's very understandable. Um, I come from actually a fairly similar background. Uh, we've talked about that on the show a couple times before. I have a Christian upbringing uh, with divorced families, so I got to see two sides growing up where I saw the people who lived devout Christian lives and then the people who called themselves Christians and really didn't ed exercise any of it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I spent a good portion of my life around 
very devout uh, uh, Protestants. I don't know uh, what sect of Christianity you belonged to. But, the worst uh, one, evangelical Protestants. Oh. <laughs> yes, I grew up in a hellhole. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, so I wasn't as bad as you, but like... I. Most of my life, if I ever had a problem, there I, I had to pray about it. I, you know, never questioned how great America was, things of that nature. Yeah, so I, I, I definitely didn't get it as bad as you did. <laughs> well, so it was interesting because I think uh, up until 2016, the uh, evangelical Christianity community was not nearly as involved politically. So there was. Yeah, but sparked that. You know, there's a uh, there's there's a specific word we could all say. We could just call it Trump, and yeah. the Republicans pulled their Trump card, and they got the evangelical right to vote. It's it's so insane because evangelicals are like about that shit, and right. like nothing Trump does or says would give you any indication that he is a Christian person. Right, saying that he's a Christian. But there's how deep there's one thing, though, that all evangelical Christians love to do more than anything else. And Trump gives them that ability more than almost anyone else alive. And that's to forgive. And they just love to be able to say your sins were taken away. And so you can say anything about Trump to them, but they either call it fake news or they say it's something that Jesus would forgive. Which is just utter nonsense, because these are the same people who will tell you all the wrong things Biden has done, even though I'm no fan of Biden or or Kamala. I just I think it's funny how they can forgive Trump. But anyone else who does any wrong, these are the people who hate Hillary Clinton. Yeah, but he uh, he's he's very much a cult leader. I mean, most of his following, like, you know, meets the criteria for just about every uh, cult, but so does just about every like intense political following. Like I, I was Bernie Sanders and his following kind of sort of was making their way to like the cult like following. But that's that's really anyone that is that consistently in the public eye. If you agree with them, I mean you're gonna correct. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think the difference between I guess cult and uh, any other mainline group like that would be the uh strong leader and so yeah. if if you do have somebody who's in the political eye like bernie was if he had stayed in that or even ran against trump it was very possible for that to turn very culty but oh. one one of the things i've seen and i don't know how much of it you've seen is that a lot of the bernie supporters have said basically now that Bernie is gone, Bernie was the he w- oh, what's the word? Why am I spacing on this? He was the compromise. Yeah, he was. He he sincerely was. Bernie is a what the reason why people think he's a radical far leftist is because we only have right wing politics in this country. So right. anything right of like republicanism is considered far left ideology i mean for they call the dnc they call joe biden uh uh what did they call him uh marxist leninist or something like that joe yeah. biden probably couldn't even tell you who either of those people are not simply because he's you know 
losing his fucking mind, but, like, also because he's stupid. Um, but that's just, that's what politics is in this country, because you you remove any material change from politics for the general public, and they eventually lose their morale to involve themselves, because they just get disappointed every time. So they're just like, fuck it, that's for rich people to deal with. Like, I, I gotta go to McDonald's. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, like the stresses of modern day life and uh, the stressors that the politicians put on us through making and and actually the corporate the corporations put on us by basically holding us as wage slaves. Yeah. Hostage in the same way that uh, Henry Ford uh, in a quote somewhere had said, uh, actually, he was for raising the wages because if his employees weren't paid enough to actually afford a car, then what was the point of making the cars? Right. So the point of wages has always been for them to be spent back into the company. That's the model we use for higher wages. This is true, yes. So yes, I think the problem there is the same pro- disconnect almost that the um, people who are calling Biden a Marxist-Leninist are having with the concept of being left of center versus being anti-capitalist. Yeah, essentially um and i i don't know most most people's understanding of capitalism is like well i can go to the grocery store and buy whatever cereal i want why would i want to do anything else like the amount of times i've had to explain like you know economic differences to just you know not even an argument but just to like my grandma like she gen she just has no fucking clue you know what i mean it it's i mean obviously it's not incentivized to be learned about right no i I once heard somewhere that uh they teach us enough in school about economics so that we learn not to ask anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) which i thought was a very poignant statement that is a great statement i thankfully never had to take economics because i did what's called boces do you guys have boces there uh maybe under a different name it's like uh it's it's kind of like a a trade-like training program. So, like, I I went to culinary class. Some people did, like, graphic design and stuff like that. And in in exchange, we didn't have to take, like, math or science classes. Gotcha. We did have a uh, trade school. I forget what they called it in our district. Uh, I ended up doing Running Start, where you, uh, instead of doing that, you end up going to get your AA for your last two years of high school. And that counts towards your high school diploma as well. That's the... Yeah, so it gives you some credits ahead, so you can, if you're really dedicated, you can graduate with your diploma and AA at the same time. I didn't do that, but I got my AA faster that way. (laughs) That's insane, that's insane. Like, I am so, in high school, I was like, well, high school is fucking boring, so I never gave a shit about anything I was learning, and my teachers didn't accurately analyze the fact that i had fucking adhd so like i could not sit still in the classroom so i'd always get in trouble so i would just skip school i never went to school really (laughs) yeah i know lots of people who were like that actually i i wonder if that'd be something to compare uh the truancy rates to people who have adhd or add uh see if that's um something that comes across because i know that the modern school system isn't designed for people who are hyperactive at all no to sit in a, you know, I, I talked about that to my, like, parents growing up. I would be like, I hate just sitting in the same seat for, like, eight hours. And they're like, 
well, you get up and go to different classes, and it's like, yeah, but I'm just sitting in the same, the same chair. Did, did you guys have what? What kind of what kind of chairs did you have in your high school? Those like plastic orange and green ones that had like little ball feet on the ends and just were not built for adults at all. <laughs> yep, I had like this purple and gray hard plastic just odd like no support whatsoever yeah arm that wrapped around that was too short for you to put your arm on and too (laughs) small for you to put your notebook and your book on there oh Oh, god god yeah i showed up to any days of school (laughs) well it's funny because uh the origins for our modern school system is based off of a Prussian factory training program. Really? I did not know that. That's actually really cool because I'm I'm uh, in the process of writing. I call them essays, but it's, it's just an analysis, I'd probably say, uh, about how like the modern American education system and how it leads to people who like just take what Trump says for just truth, you know what I mean? Like how right. bred people to just follow suit. Okay, well, uh, I'll have to send you some of my links on that then. Yeah, I would yeah, definitely. I, I did some research on it because I thought that was ridiculous when I found out that uh, it was based off of not only a factory worker's guide, basically, is that's how they teach us, is the same way you would train factory workers. It's also based off of a country who no longer exists. Prussia hasn't been around before the World War. Yes, correct. (laughs) I just thought that was ridiculous. Oh, very, very ridiculous. But I mean, that's quite in line with most things that America does. Am I wrong? No, this is very true. A lot of things we do in this country are very counterintuitive. And speaking of counterintuitive things, uh, I would like to go into the uh, third party voting system and kind of talk about like the historical backgrounds of why we haven't ever had any more parties than just this one or two party system. So, I mean, from my understanding, I, I you know, you kind of learn about politics from a very narrow lens in this country. Um, so, like I said, until recently, I haven't really gotten into this stuff. So the only like research I've done is the research that I've done since we decided to do this topic. Um, but essentially what I've come to understand is you can't, you can't be a successful political party in this country without money and to gain money, you have to be a member of a certain class And to be a member of that certain class, you kind of have to support things like a two-party system where both parties are your class and going to help you. You know what I mean? So, you know, you can't really convince a a powerful entity such as the American, you know, government and, you know, elitists that someone even, even like Bernie Sanders could be president. Like he is so far from anything that like i don't know if rich people know that there was like multiple revolutions where rich people were just like murdered yeah like like, you couldn't at least just let us have bernie sanders you couldn't just let me have health care like you're really gonna fuck me that hard right 
No, yeah, there's multiple French revolutions. You don't even have to go to another country before you can say there's multiple revolutions. They've they were very brutal so, against their uh, ruling yeah, class. Be wrong. Yeah, I uh, I've only done you know research, so I could be wrong. But as far as I can, I've read there hasn't ever been a third party president. Never. There hasn't. You are correct yeah. in that. The and only technicality to that would be George Washington was neither party. And the one thing he said in, in his final address to the nation was that we needed to beware a two-party system. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very funny that uh, the the folks who support a two-party system, who love to tout people like George Washington and folks like that, uh, must not have uh, read half of what they said. I mean, I'm not, like, supporting the Founding Fathers or anything, but right. the two-party system is something that most of them were very wary of. Exactly. No, it, it's it's one of those things where you can learn from people you disagree with, and they can say things because of their positions in power, and they know things that are about to happen. In the same way that Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex, I see the warning from Washington in a very similar way, as in beware of this thing that is building itself up already. Right. Yeah, I uh, I can't quite understand how even, like, even American Idol has more choices than our presidential election. And imagine if the presidential election was run like American Idol. Americans would eat that uh, they would, no kidding. If you had to get Bernie Sanders or, dude, could you imagine presidential election dancing with the stars? <sighs> you get someone like Bernie Sanders with like uh, Jennifer Lopez up there. Bernie Sanders just is just having the time of his life. Yeah. Point before the show, let him go off. <laughs> I think Jennifer crazy. Lopez would make a great running mate for Bernie on uh, Dancing with the Stars elections. I agree. I mean, her politics seem right in line with mine, I'd like to say. <laughs> I honestly couldn't tell you anything about Jennifer Lopez's politics, but uh, her dancing skills. I mean, she's rich and uh, seems to very much enjoy it. And true. So I would say that her politics are uh, few and far between, probably. That's true. It's probably one of those things where she is uh, privileged enough not to have to think about politics in a certain way. I think there's this weird dichotomy where you're either so privileged that you you don't have to think about politics or you are so underprivileged that you have no time to think about politics. This is true. And I think even people like, <clears throat> for example, in my background, and you might be able to uh, agree with this because of mm -hmm. your own. Um, I never thought about politics. My parents never really even talked about politics. Like, we didn't have to care because, I mean, in the, the little small city that I live in, you, you got to go to work. You got to buy groceries. Like, you don't have time to – you got to go to church, too, so you don't have time to think about politics. No, exactly. <laughs> no, my – yeah, I grew up in a very similar uh, situation where if politics came up, it always came up as being second to God – and it was a thing that my family was obviously right wing, but that's because you just need to work for what you have. And yeah. it's our job to decide how to donate. We're not going to let the government decide what to do with our donations. 
Yeah, this is true. And my family also used to say that the president was decided by God. Because, you know, Jesus, this, the thing that God, and when I say God, I mean the white Christian God. The right. thing that God is so, you know, consumed by and attentive to is American politics. I'm <sighs> quite sure in that. That and uh, what the Kardashians are up to. I'm I'm. Also, I'm I'm going to double down on that analysis. I could see that. I could really see them being torn up on that. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think you said is funny is that American Idol and Dancing with the Stars has more choices than our American political system. But one of the things I think that is ignored when talked about third parties is the fact that there isn't only three parties. No. So would you like to go into that maybe a little bit? Oh, like, uh, yeah. So there's actually I, I could do a quick Google search to give you the exact number. Um, but I know that there is more than two or three. That's for sure. And most right. people know um, third party, like, for example, like the Green Party, the Libertarian Party um, for a while. We not in a long while, but we did have some socialist parties in this country and we have. We have a few small socialist uh, parties in this country, but none that are nationally recognized by any means. Um, right. Uh, sorry, I, I like have the inability to focus on two things at once. Well, so one of the things that uh, more than anything I wanted to point out there's was a lot. Yeah, exactly. All, all, but when it comes down to how many are actually <laughs> recognized, I know this is the problem with uh, technology. We just got to work through it. It's uh, one of the struggles of 2020 with the pandemic yep. and social distancing. Yep. And also, it's hey, Very it's part of life. Fun. And it, it also is. gives us yeah. the opportunity for me to talk to you halfway across or all the way across the states, actually. Yeah, this is this is true. Yeah. Um uh, we uh, we have a friend who lives in this town that's a bit more north of us, and uh, he's celebrating this upcoming weekend because they're finally getting Wi-Fi. Oh, he's wow. lived for 20 years. He's 19. His parents have lived there for 30, and they've never had Wi-Fi. When we go up there, they have to put the hotspot on their phones on, and 90% of the time it doesn't work. Yeah, so I'll take this. But, you know, it's not like we have the complete capabilities to give literally everyone in the entire world high-speed internet capabilities. We totally don't have that. But to go back to the, the point, yes, um, there's a lot of uh, available parties that are putting forth candidates each and every election. Um, a lot of these parties put forth more than just uh, presidential nominations, they put forth, you know, uh, people for Congress and the Senate and the House of Representatives. Um, and even beyond that, a lot of these parties are simply um, politically oriented parties in that they're kind of just like organizations that are involved in politics through like okay. activism and stuff like that. But not all of them are simply, you know, bred to be groups of people who decide who they want to be president. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of these parties just kind of happen upon that. Right, that um, makes sense. Yeah, so in in my uh, extensive uh, one day of research that I did, 
Um, I found just just from you know you have the the uh, the parties that have at least 270 electoral votes, 270 or less than 270, but more than 50, and then you have less than 50 electoral votes, and then it just goes like no elect. Like there's a lot of people running for president, but right. of the ones that I hate saying this because it sounds so defeatist, but of the parties that have an actual viable chance to win an election, you really only have four. You okay. have, obviously, the Republicans and the Democrats. You have the Libertarian Party and the Green Party. Um, in 2016, the Green Party got um, 8.3% of the votes nationwide, which obviously doesn't sound like a lot, but that's like 30 million people. Right. Um, so you kind of had a moment in 2016, and I, I don't know really what caused it, but you kind of had a moment in 2016 where it started to seem like, I don't know if it was just me or what, but it really started to seem like people cared about politics. And, right. you know, now, obviously, since then, one of the biggest topics in the world is politics. Like, everywhere you go in America, um, there is some form of media you're going to consume, mostly on accident, about the upcoming election. Exactly. Uh, but, of course, you never see a, uh, a Gloria Lariva sign or a uh, Dario Hunter. These are just random names I'm pulling off this list. Um, but, like... I've barely seen Biden's signs around. I, are, are, so I have a question, because I heard this on uh, a Chapo uh, pod, and I don't know if this is actually true. Okay. Do, are, are, like, lawn signs a thing in Portland? Yeah. Okay. All righty. Because I heard, I forget, I think it was Chapo, who said that, like, outside of New York, lawn signs, like, aren't as big of a deal. Um, oh, I didn't know if there was validity to this statement, but I thought it was a, a, a funny, funny idea to think that only New York, New York would be the, the city that would be, or the country, yeah, this city, <laughs> uh, that would, I guess it's technically right, uh, no, but yeah. it, it, it would be the, uh, the state that would care the most about, um, like, lawn signs and making sure that the person next door knows who you're going to vote for. Yeah, so there are, there are quite a few lawn signs, but um, more than either Biden or Trump lawn signs, you see, like, uh, in this house, we believe Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ plus people. It's just, like, in support of things um, uh -huh. rather than a presidential election. The big one is flags. Yeah, we have a lot of American flags up here. We have a lot of confederate flags up here too oh i'm talking about trump flags oh yes we got a lot of those too yeah. we love ourselves a good trump flag up <laughs> here in new york the best thing about uh trump running for president in the sense of like for his gain is right. like he's just running a an ad campaign like i'm quite certain that after he is no longer a viable candidate he will still be printing, like, you know, maybe for uh, Trump Jr. or Barron or someone like that. Like, they'll have, like, Barron Trump 2042, which does not sound like a year that any of us will ever see. 
Um, no, I hope because probably by then we might see a Baron Trump for 2042. <sighs> things keep going the way they're going. That's very true. Well, so one of the things I think is important, and as you as I think this points out with the talk about Trump flags, the fact that he's running this huge ad campaign and the amount of money he spent on his ad campaign for the presidency. I think Trump gets so much airtime, even accidentally in all of our faces. Oh, yeah. That we should get a chance to maybe talk about some of these candidates. I know you on your podcast actually rallied behind a specific candidate. And maybe we could get yeah. to talk about some of their platforms a little bit more today. So through researching for this podcast, I obviously came across a lot of candidates. So of the ones that because I would I would Google search the party name itself and kind of read the synopsis of like what the party stands for and then decide if I'm going to do any research into the person okay. like some of these some of these like the Constitution Party or like uh, um uh, the Prohibition Party, like, there's what about some, the birthday party? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to get it. I love the fact that it's called the birthday party. That's amazing. But through that, of course, I did a lot of research on a lot of different candidates. So I have made my official statement, not that anyone cares, but my official statement is if I thought my vote actually mattered as much as it supposedly does, I would be voting for Gloria Lariva, who is from the Party for Socialism and Liberation. But because I assume that, I mean, my vote itself is a throwaway vote anyways, but because I assume my vote could possibly be a part of a pool of people that influence the election a certain way, I plan on voting for Howie Hawkins, who is the Green Party's nominee for the 2020 election. He, uh, well, I, I, I don't know. Do you want me to talk about uh, him now? Or because I, I kind of, I have research on him and Joe Jorgensen, okay. who are like the two biggest third party candidates that kind of have a decent following. Um, but I can, I can save that if you want to talk about other stuff. No, no, this is perfect. This is what I'm trying to get into. Uh, so, like, I you get into the reason behind why you feel like your vote doesn't matter if you were to give it to uh, Gloria Lariva, even though she backs your politics the most. I think it uh, points out the one of the biggest flaws I've noticed in the political system, which is uh, the fact that we don't have what's it called where you're like ranking voting. Oh. Where, Choice voting. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we do not. Um, most countries don't. It's it's very stupid because it's I mean, it's really the way that we rank just about everything else. If you want to go with this example, it's how data companies decide which ads to run because they'll throw some out and the ones that get the most likes and then you kind of rank them in that order. So, right. Yeah, the fact that we have the type of election that we have is definitely an intentional failure. Okay, so when it comes down to that, I don't think the intentional failure falls on either Gloria Lariva or Howie Hawkins, in no, the sense sir. because they're both outsiders in the party system. So uh-huh. it's one of those sucky things where they are the only true representatives we have in a system that's representative of itself. Yeah, that uh, that goes along with like uh, I would say a lot of people's support on the left for like the squad, 
Okay. I think they're all fantastic folks. I mean, we talked about before we started recording how we don't really know much about any of them except for AOC because we're, you know, bad at actually doing research. <laughs> um, from what I understand, they're all pretty woke. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're all right. pretty, they're towing the line pretty well with this uh, whole rise of, like, Bernie Sanders types. Outside of that, I don't really, th- I think AOC is a is definitely further left than Bernie. I think Ilan Omar is definitely further left than Bernie. I think Rashida Tlaib might be, and I think uh, who's the fourth member? Do you remember? Uh, did you say Ilan Omar? Yes, Rashida Tlaib. Uh, dang! Wow. Yep. Call oh, me right. out here on my bad research. <laughs> um, no, you're. I'm with you. Uh, the fourth member also um as far as i know because i feel like if this wasn't true i would have heard more about them uh they all might be like further left of bernie but because of the way that politics in this country are in the theater of it all to some extent they kind of have to toe the line um and i think that that might taint my view of them um because I can only go off of what I see them doing. Um, I can't go off of what people say, really, because people say a lot of stuff. It's politics, baby. Like, it's a show up there. So I can only go by what people do. But again, because of the positions that they hold, a lot of that is predetermined for them. You know, they, I, I don't, understand american politics enough on that level because it's just insanely confusing but as far as i understand they can vote on laws they can discuss topics in front of uh you know representatives and stuff like that and kind of give their two cents and try to pass bills and laws themselves but aside from that they have no power other than voting power and so they can only vote according to what is placed in front of them to vote on so i think that is good for the sense that you know you couldn't have a type in any of their positions that could hold enough power to you know make it an undemocratic system because you know america is so democratic Um, it's a broken democracy yeah 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 it definitely has the framework of a democracy it doesn't operate well it's like saying that uh if you built a cardboard printer like it has printer you know, it, it has a printer foundation, but it has zero operational skills of a printer. Right. Um, it looks but, like yeah, a printer, but it doesn't it does. work like one. It does. It sure does. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the problem with our politics, because someone like Bernie Sanders, and I'm not condemning him signing off on Joe Biden by any means. That's where Bernie Sanders and I kind of cut tides, sadly. Um, uh, that would I agree with you there. That was a pretty heart wrenching moment for me when he decided to back Bernie Sanders or uh, Joe, Joe Biden, Biden when he when he decided to step down and back him because I was very adamant at that point when people were telling me he had already resigned from his election when actually all he had done was return to the Senate floor. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he also was beginning to get worried about his uh, staffers and their contact with one another because that's when COVID-19 started to become a thing. So he uh, he wanted to suspend his campaign. Did you know? And again, I like, I like Bernie. He's a cool guy. This isn't me fan 
boying and like <laughs> in Bernie Sanders. Um, but did you know he gave his staffers, and this could be false, this is just something I saw on Facebook, but are you aware of the fact that he gave his staffers insurance all the way through to the end of this year? I did not. Yes. So everyone that worked for the Bernie Sanders campaign was guaranteed health insurance until the end of this year, if I'm remembering that correctly. And that was one of the things that he did after he kind of fucked up, suspended his campaign and then made his way down to, you know, um, backing uh, Joe Biden. Uh, he, yeah. he did things. He, you know, he, I believe he's still paying him. But I think the, the one problem that I have with Bernie is like, and I haven't done any research into this, but I don't know what he's doing with that money because we it, he raised a lot of money. And uh, I'd, I'd like to know where that money's going, because if if he were donating it to Black Lives Matter or donating it to like a homeless shelter or, you know, creating some kind of positivity, I, I wouldn't even question it. But I don't know for certain that he is or isn't. Um, he is a politician, a lifelong politician, I might add. So there is a right. chance uh, that he could have uh, swallowed that uh, that pretty penny and made Well, off. and it's also pretty common, too, for people who run in primaries like that for... Um, depending on how things happen. And I'm not saying that I know this for a fact, but uh, since he ran as a Democrat, it's very possible that his donations were com are complicitly moved into the Democratic Presidential Nomination Fund. Mm, yes, yes. That, ah, I should do more research. That's the thing about this stuff, is it's so insanely confusing, so you don't want to do research about it because it's so fucking boring. Right. It's so boring. I've been watching, uh, um, I like Crash Course. I know it's pretty, pretty whack, but I like Crash Course. It's how I learn. Like, I learned that format very well. Okay. Um, and I'm watching one on U.S. government and politics to kind of learn about how this shit works. Because, like I said, I didn't take economics or government in high school. I did okay. BOCI. Um, and it is just so, and it's confusing. It's boring. There's all these stupid words. They don't mean anything to me. And Crash Course is pretty fast-paced. Like, I'm not going to say, like, it's, you know, like, anything crazy. But it, if you're distracted easily, like me, and you're watching something that boring and that monotonous, it's very easy to get confused. So yeah. I, I, I think that's probably pretty intentional, I'd say. I don't know if it's intentional on Crash Course's part, but it's very intentional on the part of making the government the way it was. Yeah. It's yeah, uh, definitely is... drowned in bureaucracy to make things hard to read. Yes, and it's one of the main reasons why people don't like getting involved in government or think that a government system can help the citizens. Because most governments that exist right now uh, and really throughout history since uh, white people started being made, uh, is pretty fucked up. So they don't really, you know, want to take the time to learn about it because they got to go to work, you know? They yeah. got to pay my bills. When I was writing this, these notes, I didn't know if I was supposed to be writing them to you or writing them for myself to, like, read. Some of this kind of sounds just like I'm talking. So that's convenient. 
Uh, so if yeah. you kind of wanted me to jump back a little bit and talk about like uh, some history of third party uh, candidacy in this country, I, I have a little a little brief thing prepared about that. Go ahead. So um, uh, what I what I would say the best thing for us to cover at this point is specifically this. Yeah, the third party. Um, why why you think it hasn't worked? Um why you think maybe this election it might or maybe won't, because I heard you say that you're supporting Howie Hawkins and that would be a third party candidate. And yeah. then maybe where we go from there. And uh, I'll jump in from now and then if I. OK. Yeah. All righty. So uh, I say brief history, but I believe this is a page and a half. So I apologize if this gets boring. I'll try to sift through it ahead of time uh, while I'm reading it. I can so, always put some nice music to it <laughs> sweet sweet really put the people to sleep um <laughs> so throughout like american history before it was republicans and democrats there was always some form of like a two-party system in play um this is just kind of the two parties that got the most um I, I wouldn't really call it media attention then, but like it had the most spark, I guess, that got people's attention. You usually, because that's how sports are, that's how rivalries are. So, of course, that's how we'll make politics. We'll make it a, a one versus one type situation. Right. So because of that, it never was really able to form a a performance or i should say rather a uh, system that allows for a third party to really gain traction because i mean imagine if you were watching you know football and then all of a sudden a third team just ran out on the field like you'd be like what who are these people like this was supposed like and i, I hate that i made a sports reference that well it's just boring. the game's but, not designed for that right correct and neither is this game so there's been few there's been few times where a third party candidate has really gained enough traction to do anything other than just exist. Um, but throughout history, there has been times where third party candidates have, in fact, influenced uh, not only just the election itself, but also the talking points of those elections. So, um, hmm. yeah, so like uh the most notable one would be like Teddy Roosevelt, uh, who in 1912, when he ran as a third party candidate with the Progressive Party, um, he's still the only third party candidate to ever out poll a candidate from an established party that would be Taft. Um, yeah. But many candidates throughout history have also been able to influence the election such as like Ralph Nader in 2000, who took most of the candidates from Florida from Al Gore, which people say could have put him in a position to win the election. Um, right. That and uh, in 2016, Clinton lost a good portion of votes to Gary Johnson, who was also a Green Party candidate, um, which many say could have won her the election. But I think people also from the article that I was reading, I think the people who were writing this kind of also underestimate how much people hated Hillary Clinton in 2016, and yeah. rightfully so. Um, <clears throat> so it but sounds again, to me like you're skirting around the word uh, spoiler candidate. Oh, yes, yes, okay. for certain, yes. Um, there is always a, a tool at play that third parties can use to, if they 
really want to take the election away from someone, they can kind of, you know, bigger parties like the Democratic Party would be able to, I'm not saying this is how it goes, but they would be able to influence a party's decision to run a candidate that's going to take votes away from somebody. Um, But also, a lot of times it's unintentional, um, or at least it seems that way. I, I can't speak on, I'm not above my pay grade, that's for sure. Um, but it definitely, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, discussing intent. Yeah, it definitely seems that a lot of times where things could have been better for us, they weren't because of a third party candidate. But yeah, I mean, you can't, the thing that sucks about that is you, you then develop a habit in, you know, kind of the public where like, for example, when I talk about Howie Hawkins with my family, my folks are like, well, you're throwing your vote away. What are you doing? Wasting your time on that. You're going to take votes away from somebody else. What's the point of even voting? And that's the thing that kind of sucks is because then someone like me or just someone in general who doesn't see themselves represented in, you know, either of these candidates, which how anyone could see themselves represented in Joe Biden or Donald Trump (laughs) is, you know, means for concern. But Like, uh, just anyone, if they were paying enough attention, would know that neither of these candidates, and most of the time, neither of the candidates, support any working class material needs other than the bare minimum to make it so that they can get to work tomorrow. Right. Um, but this this then kind of translates into a, a sense of blame on voters where, you know, you kind of get these uh, uh, gossipy type quarrels where people are like, well, you don't have anything to say because you wasted your vote and voted for Gary Johnson or Howie Hawkins. And it's like the way this is supposed to work is I'm supposed to vote for who I want. Just because the person that I want is not given a proper uh, route to actually be a formidable candidate isn't my fault. I'm not going to vote for, you know, Joe Biden or Donald Trump. So the idea that people have enough influence on the election to be bl- blamed for voting third party is also a ridiculous uh, uh, idea. But it is. I mean, it's it's voter shaming, and it's something yeah. I see a lot on Twitter. Is uh, oh yeah, it seems to be that especially in this campaign, the Biden platform or uh, outreach to voters seems to be voter shaming them for uh, electing Trump by voting third party which mm-hmm. isn't offering voters anything, which is funny because third-party voters like you are saying that they refuse to vote for the lesser of two evils if they have the opportunity to vote on principle. Oh, for certain. And I think a lot of people would agree with that sentiment if it was incentivized in this country to give a shit about politics. But it's it's really not, and I feel like a lot a lot of people are so involved in this, you know, nationalism and patriotism that we've seen since, at least in my experience, because this is the time that I've been alive since 9-11. And uh, that kind of has led to an increased uh, amount of nationalism that leads towards people only voting, you know, party or voting against the lesser of two evils, like, because they think that the way that the American system is, is the best trying to change it. Let's just 
vote for the guy who probably won't send us to another, th- you know, world war. It, it is it genuinely in the truest, in the truest definition of the phrase, it is what it is. It, until we see a big enough group of people that seem, and I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. I'm, I'm not going to say like, oh, revolution's right around the corner because every <laughs> time somebody, uh, you know, every time a, a revolutionary type says that, it's uh, it seems that it goes the complete opposite way. Right. Um, the only thing that a revolution is right around the corner is when a revolution is actively happening. Um, so I, I don't think that we, you and I are, I, and again, I, I hate to depress anyone, but I don't think you and I are going to live in a world where we see anything much different than what you and I are discussing as a problem right now. Um, <clears throat> and that sucks. I mean, I, I, I said to my girlfriend earlier today that it, it sucks that of my one lives that I get, this is the time period that I get to live in. And I, I also said the other day, I wonder if people during the bubonic plague felt the same way. But yeah. um, it, uh, uh, it, it definitely is. It definitely isn't something that's worth shaming anyone for. Um, it's definitely not something that we should really blame people for being supportive of, necessarily, um, unless there's someone who would vote for Trump, really. So, and that's not to condemn Trump voters as a whole but to get to the psyche where you just believe whatever you're told and don't really you know allow yourself to formulate your own opinions about things and that goes with people who support you know someone like joe biden or barack obama um because that that mentality kind of stems from this you know laissez-faire politics and public in america it does and it also comes from the uh the tribalistic view of needing these people at the forefront you're picking mm-hmm. these people as your warriors and yeah. so if if these people are the people you're willing to defend then you are part of that tribe and oh, so first. it's hard to battle people when they're in tribes like that yeah and i think because and this is you know something that i'd, I'd love to do uh some kind of write-up or podcast about but like uh because America is so starved for culture, because Europeans fucking suck. We just took everybody's culture. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, we have no culture of our own, and we've progressed so far into capitalism that there's nothing incentivizing us to make one now. Yeah. Uh, so America, in and of itself, is pretty starved for culture. So, like, if you can get behind a politician, or really any person of celebrity... Um, you kind of fall into a tribal-like mentality because you associate who you are very heavily with someone like that because you don't have things in culture to assault, you know, associate yourself with. You can't form a personality like you know. <laughs> I hate to sound biased. I, I, it's gonna come up, but like Trump people who their whole house is just a bunch of Trump flags and then their truck is covered in like, come and take it from me and a blue lives matter sticker, which guys, sorry to break it to you. Those are pretty counterintuitive signs they have on the same car, but we won't even get into that. 
the <laughs> mentality that goes along with the you know forming your persona around a politician like that is pretty common in American culture or society because we don't have culture. I, I agree with that statement. It's a it's a replacement for culture. Yeah, and it's it, it has to do with the hegemonic control that America has not only over its citizens but across the world. I mean, everything across the world is Americanized to some extent, or at least Europeanized. If that's probably not a word, it sounds like you uh, have like some kind of dick condition. But, <laughs> And I think that this is problematic because capitalism, and I, I guess a better analysis is not things are Americanized, but things are capitalistic. So you kind of have no incentive to have culture and things like that. So for the, the people who crave that, for the people who crave having something to grasp onto and connect themselves to, like I said, we're starving for culture in this country. So anything that people can really get behind that they feel supports them and they feel like they're connected to someone else in a way that they're not connected to others, they're right. going to fall you know, head over heels for that person. And I don't mean that euphemistically. Like, I, I genuinely mean that. You, you, see, you see grown-ass men, grown-ass men who in any other circumstance would beat the living shit out of someone for obsessing over someone the way that they obsess over Trump yeah. and like totally going against all of the preconceived notions that that persona exemplifies by obsessing over a man who in most cases especially around here because it's you know usually poor white people from upstate New York like Trump doesn't give a shit about you. No Not kidding. In the slightest. Your $20 for his flag didn't even make him a penny richer. Like, he yeah. doesn't even care about your sales. Like, I'm sure Trump, I, I genuinely think that there might be a time where Trump's, Trump's companies produce memeified anti-Trump stuff. Like, <sighs> roast in the libs for being stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this shit will go on forever because where you finally hit a point in this late capitalistic stage in America and across the world where we have been so starved for culture outside of our occupations um, and very small sects that we can get into. Like, I'm obsessed with Star Wars. I'm obsessed with politics. Like, these are things I associate myself with. Right. But imagine how many other things I could associate myself with if 90% of my free time was not spent standing behind a cash register. Exactly. No, and it's one of those things that I find is quite disgusting. And I think it's an interesting thing you point out with the late stage of capitalism we're in. I think that also points out something that I think is just happening in quite a few different perspectives or aspects of our world right now, which is some people are calling it like a great stall. We've hit a certain point in technological advancement where for a while there we were growing exponentially. And now the growth is not quite as exponential as it used to be. And right. capitalists are continually making new jobs up specifically for the ability to fill them. Yes. Uh, uh, yes, that is. And I think I think a good point to make about the technology is I forget again. I consume so many podcasts 
Yes, I can never remember which one it came from. It's probably from Beep Beep Lettuce or Chapel Trap House. Those are the two I listen to the most. Um, but one of those podcasts, I believe, made the point about they were talking about Elon Musk and okay. how like most of his technology is like just a overly uh, complicated, insanely expensive solution to a problem that already has a solution. You know what I mean? So I think we've hit a point in technology where most day-to-day problems that you and I have control over have been solved for us. Right. For those who have had to quarantine, unless, you know, economically speaking, for most people, if they are level or stable, uh, you know, financially, which many people are not right now, we're in awful time. But in America, for those who are stable, who were able to stay at home during the initial stages of quarantine, every one of their needs was met. You know, nobody's walking three miles to get clean water. Nobody even has to leave their house to get food or groceries or media, really anything. We've, we've reached a point, at least in America, for those who can afford it again, where there is no day-to-day problem that you cannot solve with your cell phone. Yes. I'd say the best way to phrase that, too, if I could rephrase that statement at all, would be that we have the capability in America to make sure that everyone's needs are met on a day-to-day basis. Yes, that is a uh, an astute uh, realization. Yes, uh, that goes along with our, I can't remember if it was on the show or off the show, but the fact that my friend is getting internet now and yes. they've lived there for 20 years, like we have the capabilities to give everyone in the world internet. I mean, we have the capabilities to give everyone in this world free drinking water, but yeah. we just don't do that because, you know, capitalism. <laughs> but like, yes, this is true. We have the not only the technology, but the means to provide that technology to everyone. Things like even as simple as housing for all, Medicare for all, jobs for all, which is a great segue into Howie Hawkins and kind of his platform and the thing that really drew me over to him in my research. So uh, I'm going to kind of go through each candidate that I researched had like specific, you know, problem points that they wanted to give their, you know, synopsis of the policies that they plan to implement to fix these problems, such as, you know, coronavirus, the environment, jobs, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, I will go through and kind of go over the brief synopsis that I gathered off of his um, official website about some of these topics. And then, of course, if we we want to talk about anything, we can jump right into a conversation. Yeah. Um, and right before you read that, just so everyone knows, uh, Howie Hawkins' website is howiehawkins.us backslash platform will take you directly to the section that we're talking about right now. So, yeah. So the first topic that he talks about on his page is COVID, which is very important because it is the most important thing to get a handle on right now, which I don't think many Americans realize. He intends to, right from the get-go, implement Medicare for All, which will pay for mass testing, medical products, treatment, and all emergency health care that is needed. He also intends to use the Defense uh, Production Bill to help begin production of tests 
medical equipment, quarantine centers, and contact tracing equipment within the United States because we really have no infrastructure for manufacturing in the States because, I mean, why would you? It's not profitable. It also right. intends to use OJA to help create a temporary enforcement standard of available PPE in every workplace. He intends to send $2,000 a month to every citizen over 16 and $500 to children. So families with multiple children will get multiple checks for $500 for each child. Loans are to be provided to small businesses and hospitals for overhead forgiveness under the assumption that employees are kept on the payroll. Um, eviction foreclosures and utility moratoriums are to be put in place. A canceling of rent. And mortgages and utilities as well. He also plans to put a federal rent ceiling on, higher taxes on, of course, a higher income bracket to make up for the federal spending, as well as I believe he intends to tax import-export transactions, um, which is a common thing in a lot of economies. He also plans to suspend all the student loans with a 0% interest accrual during the economic shutdown, as well as provide universal mail-in ballots and uh, federal funding to both state and local governments. So I think as far as, you know, bullet points, because again, this is only what his, you know, website says, but the fact right. that he is who is talking about these things is very important because I've seen, you know, like I said, I did a lot of research to a lot of these people. I saw under COVID for a lot of these candidates, very short-sighted solutions. You know, a lot of them talked about bringing jobs back into the market. A lot of them talked about paying people for sick leave for two weeks. But these are, you know, very short-sighted solutions. Right. You pay someone the money they would have made in two weeks. Well, what happens when they have to go back to their job and contract coronavirus again? You know what I mean? These are not solutions. These are Band-Aids. And we are, we are in a point in America where we can no longer have Band-Aid solutions. That is not, that is not something that will allow us to make it to tomorrow. Look at half of the West Coast. Yes, uh, no kidding. We were at that point back in May. <laughs> yeah, yes. So the next point that's that's actually a great, I'm doing great at these segues, I'll tell you why. Okay. So speaking of wildfires, his environment plan is a 10-year, $42 trillion plan to completely go green by 2030. And by green, I mean a 0% carbon emission uh, as a country. He also plans to transfer energy, manufacturing, and transportation to nationalized, publicly-owned means. By banning fossil fuels and fracking infrastructure combined with his plan to restructure our already existing foundation to a green one, again, 0% carbon emission one, by 2030, okay. he will be able to get us to a 100% clean energy-ran company. His ideas into zero-waste recycling production will also help in the strides towards a clean energy bill because we in America have one of the largest, largest uh, productions of waste. He intends to create new electric transportation systems within states as well as cities from railroads to even inner city trolleys, which it's, it's funny reading that because, you know, when I hear trolleys, I think back to the 1920s and, you know, right. how cool it was to hop on a trolley, but like, you didn't need a car, like, and that would be a solution that would just make sense. That you know, it's very stupid for every person for households to have multiple cars is a, it's ridiculous. But yeah. um, 
He also plans to do parity pricing of agriculture commodities, as well as a new uh, regenerative organic agricultural system that will help us to bring back more agricultural growth within the U.S., as well as making that growth eco-friendly, as well as healthier for the people consuming it. And then he also wants to create civilian corporations for wetland, forest, and habitat restoration and protection. So these will be civilian-ran organizations that are publicly funded that are completely dedicated to wetland, forest, and habitat restoration within the United States. That's amazing. That right there, that final bullet point, along with the way that the second bullet point were phrased, was probably my favorite thing I saw on Howie Hawkins' platform. Yeah. Specifically the term zero to negative carbon emissions. Yeah, because people don't realize that we can have negative carbon emissions. We we can create green technology that removes carbon emissions from the atmosphere. We have this technology. This technology is implemented in big cities to some extent. You know, they plant certain trees that help that or they create uh, a kind of flow of bad toxins or fumes throughout the city that's going to make it so that in the city part where most people are, you're not going to experience those emissions as heavily. But right. doing anything except for that will be null and void because, again, we've reached a point where Band-Aid solutions getting to a 0% carbon emission might not be enough um, because, again, we're only the United States. And although we do release a lot of carbon, or I should say greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, we are not the only one. So, Well, and that's an important thing, I think, for us to remember, because as we move through this platform, we got to remember that even when it comes to carbon emissions, uh, pollutions, and foreign policies, we have to remember that we have neighbors that we need to work and cooperate with. Oh, so. oh for certain. And I think that, I mean, Canada and Mexico aren't exactly the most environmental friendly countries in the world, but Canada at least operates with a pretty neoliberal, like they at least talk about the environment more frequently than we do. I mean, Trudeau recently uh, went against his word and destroyed native land to build a new pipeline a couple years ago. That was talked about on Hassan Minaj's Patriot Act. That's a good episode if you want to look into that. But so it shows that it shows that neoliberal policies, again, are not enough because, again, talking the talk, walking the walk, two very different things. Speaking of camaraderie between uh, countries, he also has a bullet point on his website called Peace. So quick summary. He, uh, he plans to get rid of and end the production of nuclear weaponry, as well as begin uh, negotiations with other armed nuclear countries to rid the world of them. To cut the military budget in this country down to, uh, uh, by 70%, I should say, which seems like a lot. That's, that's an insane amount. You know, you never would hear a president talking about cutting the budget for that unless it was education. But um. Uh, <laughs> So it it does seem like a lot, but it is. But when you also put into perspective how much money we as a country spend on our military each year, you would know that there is more than enough available resources to fix literally every financial problem in this country. Yeah. If we just took one year where we didn't spend money on the military, we could completely erase all debt in the United States. All of it. Nobody would owe money to anybody. 
especially medical debt and student loans, especially. So it leaves a lot even for the military, a 25% military budget to those of you who are worried about us no longer being the dominant military force. We spend more money than 10 other of the largest militaries in the country combined. 25% we're still going to be spending more money than them. So we already have the world's largest military. So don't worry, guys. It's not going to change. Definitely. Um, yeah. And uh, speaking of spending money, his economy bullet point, he kind of talks about, well, not kind of, his main his main idea behind his economic solution is what he is calling the Economic Bill of Rights, which I, uh, I will give the link to. It is howiehawkins.us forward slash the dash economic dash bill dash of dash rights forward slash. So starting from the beginning, section one basically outlines like citizens rights to useful work, minimum wage that is enough to meet their basic needs, decent and affordable housing, health care of equal and high quality, public education, and finally a retirement income sufficient to continue to meet those basic needs after they're no longer working. The second section goes ahead and outlines your rights as a human being to things like an income above poverty, livable wages, the right to an affordable house, uh, health care, education, and a retirement plan. If you need anything further, it's all spelled out in section two in the link that I attached. So if you yeah. want to read more on, it's it's on there. But also my favorite thing, which I've never heard of these. So this was this was where I started to be like, yeah, this guy, this guy might be onto something. So we talked about creating uh, what are called worker cooperatives, which I don't know. Did you do any research into those or do you know previously what those are? So I, I did come across that term and I was a little interested in what that was. Uh, basically, my understanding is it's similar to unions, but I don't quite understand the difference. So it goes beyond a need for a union because essentially it is a publicly funded business that through progression, eventually the workers become the owners of and therefore collect income based off of that business. So it's essentially a transfer into ownership of said business for the workers who work within it. And then not only do you give them the power to decide their own economic and financial situation, but you also eliminate this myth that says in socialist or communist countries, you can't own your own business because even someone like Howie Hawkins understands that it is important to have people own local businesses. That is how you generate a local and sustainable economy. So right. you just, most people in the uh, economy that exists now can't afford to open their own business. But yet it's, it's this, you know, propagandized thing in this country to buy local. I mean, in Rome, we maybe, we maybe have 10 local businesses and most of them are restaurants. So like beyond restaurants, like, you don't have a, a car manufacturing company that's owned by people like oh. you and me, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, like, definitely. That's so owned like, by the one percenters. Yeah, so to have a system that incentivizes that will also incentivize the bad thing of socialism, which is giving local businesses the means to open and operate. Because, I mean, 
they say a lot that, you know, the first 10 years you own a business, you won't even know if you're going to be successful or not unless you're unsuccessful, you know, like the first 10 years even, you're usually going negative. So like when that's coming out of your own pocket and is also your own income, it's definitely not incentivized to open a small business. So it's government support for fledgling businesses rather than government bailouts for million dollar corporations. A hundred percent. And that, I think, is, again, another direct antithetical bullet point to the justification of a capitalist society. I see it on memes all the time. If capitalism works so well, why does it have to get bailed out every 10 years? And that's, that's the thing. When you have these, you know, monoliths that just hoard money, like, and most people like you and I have no concept of even a million dollars, let alone something like $199.25 billion, which conveniently just happens to be Jeff Bezos's net worth currently. Uh, I was writing this paper here, but like, there's a website you can go on where you just scroll and it's supposed to be in like the same metric as like a dollar to, you know, his net worth. Okay. And you, you could scroll for like, an hour, I think, before you even hit like a quarter point. So Jeez. like, and you can also go on a website where you take all of Bill Gates, you can take all of Bill Gates money and spend it. You can buy every national sports team in the entire country and still have over a billion dollars. Damn. Yep. So like that, that, that's how much money these people have. And what I think people don't understand is when, I mean, simple economics is circulation of money. So if you have people hoarding money like that, eventually, as we have seen throughout the entire history of this country, there's inflation. You know, there's not money in circulation. If you have a dollar, it's not worth as much because somebody has one hundred and ninety nine point seven five billion sitting accumulating interest. Right. Uh, And I mean, not even to go off onto a tangent, but there's a certain point where like something like a billion dollars, that's not a billion dollars. That's numbers on a screen. That's that's right. that's all, and that that takes away again from the value of actual currency because there's people who just have numbers written on a screen on their cell phone that allows them to buy Maseratis and uh, pay their ex-wives fifty billion dollars. Right. I mean that that exists. So uh, I mean, what the fuck is your five dollars worth? Not even. Uh, not not even uh, uh, a meal at McDonald's anymore. You know what I mean? So Well, and that's one of the things that gets forgotten in the capitalist system is it's not how many dollars do you have in your bank account. It's how many dollars are in play in the system versus how much you currently have. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so so uh, I, I think the point that I'm getting mostly from what you're saying is that when you have people like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates sitting there, no matter how much money you make, if you and I were to go out and make $100,000 this month, we would still not have anywhere near as much money as them. And we never would because right. they aren't spending their money in places where we can get access to it. Correct. And also, we probably still wouldn't have health care, although we would have better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the the fact of the matter is in a system where things like a random medical emergency can put you so far behind financially, ban- com- completely bankrupt you. Right. Um, and people like Jeff Bezos can 
again, buy, or I should say Bill Gates can buy every national sports team and still have a billion dollars left over to play with. That's not a system that works, or at least doesn't work for as long as we think it does. Because the genuinely incentivizing part of capitalism is the beginning to capitalism. When money has little value and you can make a little money and have upward mobility. But right. when you get into late capitalist stages, that's not a possibility. You're so far beyond. You can't ever catch up. You, like you said, we could. You and I could make a hundred thousand dollars a day for the rest of our lives, and we would never catch up to Jeff Bezos. Right. So that's why things such as housing, medical services, public school, food. That's why those things need to be guaranteed as human rights because you cannot live with. Because if we're not going to fix the economy, if we're not going to change the structure of the economy we at least have to get rid of the problems that don't you know to try to make it an equal playing field i mean if you and i don't have to worry about where we're going to live how we're going to eat are we going to work what if i get sick if we don't have to worry about these big expenses then things as fucking microphone for my podcast (laughs) i probably wouldn't worry about spending money on because my basic needs as a human being to make it to tomorrow are going to be met. And the fact that anybody should be blamed for not having the same means as someone else and therefore struggling more than someone else and is going to be punished in you know a way like if you don't have a job, you don't get health care. That's pretty disgusting and dystopian, if I might use that buzzword real quick. Yeah, no, no, it's very accurate. I think the only way we could even begin to talk about a capitalist system that worked would be if we talked about basically a generational system in which each time that a generation passed away, we restarted the system. I mean, that sounds lovely. um, It's just impossible. That and people are living to be old as fuck now, dude. Like, True. you have to remember someone like the Queen of England is alive. Like, there yeah. there are, yeah, that, that that's, yeah. Um, even though I know you were just joking. I'm not yeah. Um, yeah, no, my whole point was exactly just your what you're saying about the beginning of capitalism. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful just, for about maybe 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> when, you can, uh, when you can afford to uh, travel to different countries for fun and, you know, enjoy things like uh, a full cooked meat or a, a, oh, a, a four course meal or something like that something that makes that joke sound better and brunch uh, every sunday so listen i am not i'm not here to lie i love me a good brunch session but uh, <laughs> uh i i'm not that rich white i'm i'm i come from rich white but not brunch rich white but uh, another just real quick point that i found interesting about Howie Hawkins uh yeah policies is uh and and we're seeing this kind of being presented as a problem in this upcoming election but one of the things that he plans on doing is automatic voter registration for every single citizen of the United States which will also allow for automatic mail-in voting registry for every citizen so but even beyond that it could go to a more uh technological front possibly, which, I mean, I'm not a technocrat by any means, but I feel like that makes some level of sense. Obviously, it's open to possible fraud, but so is everything, and we have the capabilities to make it. So it's not, I mean, you and I don't see CIA documents until 100 years later, so they definitely have the capabilities to keep that shit locked away. 
that and uh, he's passing this thing called We the People. Well, he plans on passing something called the We the People Amendment, which seeks to rid elections of any corporate money. So no corporation can make a donation towards a political campaign. And this has to do with the moderately recent overturning of constitutional rights and extending them towards corporations. Right. Um, What you're talking about, uh, the moment corporations were recognized as people. Yes. Um, Rather, citizens of the United States and therefore guaranteed every right that you and I are so often not guaranteed. So speaking of that, he also goes into some social justice stuff, but he, he makes the claim that, again, because this is just hearsay, obviously he's not actively doing anything, so I can only speak what his website says, but he plans to defend anti-discrimination laws, restore affirmative action, defend abortion rights, erase student and medical debt, enact reparations for African Americans, reestablish treaty rights for Native Americans, close migrant detention centers, and enact open borders. Also, he and his campaign assert uh, themselves as the candidate most aligned with the Equality Act, or should I say they list it under social justice actions within their website, whatever that means. Uh, um, He also talks about criminal justice, where he plans to end mass incarceration and eradicating things like the criminalization of addiction and drug offenses um, and overturning those to a health-related problem, which I actually lost my brother very recently to heroin addiction. And in the last few months of him being alive, he was sentenced to a few months in jail for breaking his probation. And he kind of talked to me after he got out about it and uh, his experience. And it really goes to show you how fucked up being an addict, you know what I mean? And he had been an addict for 20 years. So he had medication he took for his psychosis. He also took just regular, you know, physical health medication. And right. so he he wasn't granted those things because when he was arrested, uh, I don't really know the whole story. Um, but to my understanding, he turned himself in while he was high um, and didn't tell them that he was staying at a rehab, didn't tell them that he was addicted. And then after that point, he, of course, wasn't able to relay that information because they don't give a shit at, after that point. Um, so there were times where he was going through active, you know, 20 year heroin r- withdrawals definitely aren't for the, the faint of heart. And uh, he was going through that for almost 10 days without any of his medication because they would refuse to send him to the uh, infirmary because COVID-19 was literally like the biggest currency in the jail where he was staying. And in most uh, prisons and jails across the country, because, again, we don't have systematic things in place to stop the spread. Um, So, like. He would, like, be going through withdrawals, like, banging on the doors and stuff like that. And they would just pepper spray him to get him to stop. Um, so this this really was important to me because this is something that even just people like you and I sometimes have a problem understanding as a medical condition because we're so brainwashed into understanding it as a criminal problem rather than a medical problem. Um right. So that was very important to me. He also plans to turn over the oversight of police to the communities in which 
police exist. So police officers will essentially operate as government officials are supposed to operate in that they are responsive to the people and the people are in charge of them. Um, I mean, if you want me to just finish up, there's just two last bullet points that I can summarize real quick. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. No worries. Alrighty. Uh, yeah, he wants to put an end to massive media conglomerations by diversifying the ownership of most media. He also plans to fund more public media outlets and act social ownership of social media and e-commerce sites, uh, restore net neutrality, and enact antitrust laws against massive corporations who are currently able to avoid those because usually it's not just one of them because of conglomerates. And then right. in taxes, he... He plans to end the ceiling on the wealth tax and fossil fuel subsidies, cut corporate welfare, and then create some new tax plans such as the financial transaction tax, uh, enact progressive estate and wealth taxes, and enact some sort of land value tax. Again, none of these actions are how this will be accomplished necessarily or you know, the only way that these things can be fixed because even to his credit, um, Howie Hawkins is still trying to work within the broken system to change the broken system, which I've right. spoken on multiple times on my podcast and in my personal life where you can't make brownies with a broken blender. You have to buy a new blender. You got to start shit over. And we're past the point of working within the system. But if it gets me health care, I'll take it for now. You know what yeah. I mean? No, I hear you. And uh, I think this is a funny dichotomy that I noticed talking to you, uh, somebody on the East Coast versus myself, who's on the West Coast, where secession is a conversation that has been on the rise. And I've noticed more and more people uh, talking about it, uh, thinking of it as a viable option here. And so um, we have this outlook on the broken system while you are looking at this system, trying to keep it alive. And I, I'm hopeful. And I think without trying to shame anyone into voting, because voter shaming isn't what we're trying to do here. All my homies hate voter shaming. <laughs> exactly. No, but uh, I think Hawkins is a good a good uh, vote. I think I most likely Based off of my research, too, I think Hawkins might be who I'd be throwing my vote uh, in the ring this election. But again, I say that with the idea of this is a broken <laughs> system. And right. I think I think that even this election, there's a huge part of me that is just basically watching because I think we might have a secession actually happen. I don't really know where I, st I think that would be phenomenal, but I think... <laughs> issue comes with people's overwhelming final decision really just being homeostasis so if at the end of the day what's going to benefit you is just filing and towing the line with the status quo most people are going to do that um until it, it will benefit them to not do that which is exactly why the systems in this country and most countries that exist right now are the way they are because they take away the incentive and benefits that come with trying to change the system. Yeah. So I also, I mean, I don't really want to give her any airtime because I think she's a, a waste of my oxygen. But I, I also did some uh, research into jo Joe Jorgensen. Um, and I would like to say that if anybody 
themselves is planning on voting for Joe Jorgensen or thinks that she's got some uh, stuff to say that is, you know, maybe left of center, I implore you to please go on her website and read what she has on her website. Because in essentially every way possible, and especially the most important way possible right now, which is healthcare, she is against what is essentially the only structural system that can help most Americans that exists right now and is a possibility. She is against Medicare for all because she says it would become one big VA hospital. Totally not understanding <sighs> something like a VA hospital would be like a VA hospital. Right. Um, so I, I do think to those of you who would want to align yourselves with someone like Joe Jorgensen, I implore you to, again, actually read what she put on her website. And that's not to say that, I mean, who's to say even Joe Jorgensen herself has any say in what's put on her website? True. But the fact of the matter is, is this is what her and her brand is presenting as her platform. And therefore, because of the way politics are, this is what you and I are meant to base our decision off of. No, exactly. And it's better to base the decision off of their website rather than what you hear on Twitter or what you hear in a uh, campaign ad from an opposer. You so, mean that uh, people don't tell the truth sometimes? Wait, what? There wait, are liars in this society? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know where, at, where we're at time wise. I haven't been paying attention. Uh, we're we're gonna pretty close to the end here, so if you want to give me some of your final thoughts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got I got final thoughts typed right up here because I'm a I'm a real nice and prepared guy. Oh um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So like uh, essentially the reason why the two party system is the way that it is in this country is as I've said intentional, and because it removes uh for those in power a necessity for change. Um. As long as you're better than the other side, meaning if a Republican is seen as better than a Democrat, you have a better to good chance that you will probably be able to get at least get a lot of votes. Um, and that's why someone like Donald Trump can become president, because you have a political uh system that exists in a country which is essentially just find the bare minimum good that a candidate can do, say they're going to do that, you're going to vote for people. I mean, so, like someone like Joe Biden, all he would have to do is say he was going to legalize weed and he would win the election Yeah, because of how people in America vote. But you actually now in America, because of COVID, I think, are really seeing the holes in the system that we have. Because you need politicians that are going to push bills, that are going to pass laws, that are going to create new systems, that are going to fix material problems that people like you and I are facing. Not someone that's going to hold the American flag high enough or kiss the most babies. You know what I'm saying? But because in America with the two-party system, it is such a celebrity type thing. Again, it's not the voters' fault, but it is what incentivizes the voters to vote for who they vote for. And because ultimately we as Americans have no role in deciding who we're vote or who will lead us other than who we're made available to vote for, 
you over time create an understanding and idea in the country that it's not worth voting. And that's what they want. They want to take away any incentive to be involved in politics, to pay attention to these things, to want to make change because it will directly affect their ability. And when I say they, I mean, of course, government officials, one percenters, the elites, it takes away their ability to be in control. Yeah. No, would you say um, the same way that our political system chooses a specific type of person to be a politician, it also chooses a specific type of person to be a voter? Oh, for certain. I would definitely say that most political campaigns are indirectly at a specific mold of a person. They are not meant to appeal to multiple people because, again, you don't have class solidarity in this country. So you have to appeal to very specific, what I've called in multiple of my readings, uh, single layer characteristics, or I should say writings, such as someone like Kamala Harris, who is just a black lady. And so a lot of people love her because, again, you have like a Barack Obama type, you have a, a, a black uh, individual in a high ranking position, which of course is very important and should be a thing. But right. the fact that she is black should not be the deciding factor of both whether or not she gets elected and whether or not she is allowed to run. You know, right. because you got people who can't run because of the problems that they face because of the race that they were born as, which is completely out of their control and a ridiculous thing to be systemically uh, oppressed for. But you also have someone like Kamala Harris who can capitalize on that oppression and use that as a means to get herself elected. Right. Without any of the merits actually needed for her position. Yeah. I mean, everything that she is, is antithetical to the black experience in this country. And that is someone coming from someone who is white and has not experienced the black experience myself, but has listened to enough people. And that's really all it takes, because that's how you learn is you listen to people who have actually experienced these things. Um, I've learned enough about, you know, the bare minimum of what the black experience is in America. And Kamala Harris certainly is not one that is going to improve that. Right. This is specifically an anti-Kamala Harris podcast. Oh, definitely. Uh, I'm myself and just be, uh, every podcast is just a smear campaign against Kamala Harris. Do you know one time that she smoked weed with Snoop Dogg? And are you aware that Snoop Dogg was a child when she was in college? He was an infant. Are you aware of this? What? Mm Mm-hmm. This is disgusting to me. Uh, the fact that Snoop Dogg would allow himself to smoke with Kamala Harris kind of disgusts me a little bit. And I like... It didn't happen. It's definitely a lie. Good. <laughs> Again, she was. She said she did it in college, I believe is how the statement was phrased. Again, Snoop Dogg was a child when she was in college. Gotcha. I think it's a pretty ridiculous statement for Kamala Harris to be in a position where she can laugh when asked herself have you ever tried marijuana and say a little but she has been very complicit and also harnessed the power of her position to put people in prison for those specific crimes yep and then allow uh the country in which she governs from to have people make money off of the very product that she is arresting people for 
Uh, exactly. And that's one of the things that I think is really disgusting. Well, honestly, we're running out of time. I really want to let people know where they can find you, though. So where can people find your anti-Kamala Harris podcast? <laughs> All right. So uh, where they can find my uh, original podcast, of course, I will have to do uh, rebranding and everything. We'll get there, <laughs> maybe. But you, you can find me at uh, Annoying Question Boy on uh, just about every streaming platform, like uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Anchor, Spotify, you know, most of those you can find me at Annoying Question Boy. I also do a blog, which you can find on blogger.com at Annoying Question Boy. And again, like I said earlier, I do a YouTube that is awful. Um, you can watch those videos. I did one on uh, William Penn's creation of the state of Pennsylvania and how it was like an early anarchist experience. That was kind of cool. The other three are pretty shitty, honestly, but we're getting there. Um, and then, of course, social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, sadly. Um, got to get those views, man. Got to get yeah. those views. Okay. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that. I think I think uh, this genuinely was a, a very we did very good. I'd say. Um, yeah. So I appreciate the uh, the platform, my friend. And I had a great time. I'd love to come on again. Definitely, definitely. I'd love to have you on again sometime. And uh, I definitely appreciated the conversation. I felt like we got through quite a bit more than I expected us to. And yeah, I really hope some people enjoy it. This last week, I just opened up a Discord server for the podcast. So I will definitely send you a link for when your episode comes out and we can continue this conversation with yes. the rest of you fans. Yes, yes. I uh, also started a Discord, which I completely forgot about because I have no fucking clue how to use it. So probably it wouldn't <laughs> be worth it. But I do have a Discord. It's linked probably in one of my social medias perfect well awesome uh again this was annoying question boy sitting down with carpet and cork and you were listening to a case against the modern man have a good night folks Ooh, bye